0: You know, the reason I, they like reading my stuff is that I've always got real-life examples to prove what I'm saying. There's
1: a lot of good people that listen to this podcast. You know, other than God and my family, deer hunting would be next in line on my list of priorities. From the bottom of our hearts, it's, it's just fantastic and awesome to, uh, to have the support that you guys are getting. People ask me about expandable broadheads and love swings.
2: <laughs> Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations. World-class
1: whitetails. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Chasing Giants podcast, episode 175, brought to you by Osseo Gear. Don Higgins, I'm Terry Peer. Don, it's right at the end of June. Number one, it's almost velvet season and you're getting ready to put cameras out. But the whole theme of this episode today is giving an update on food plots because we've had some successes and we've had some struggles this year. Uh, Let's just break down uh, what's been going on. Obviously, it's a lot of it's due to the drought and the lack of rain. But it seems like a lot of people are in the same boat. So I think today we'll just both break down all the different products we planted, uh, why some of them worked, why some of them have struggled, and what we're going to do about it. Yeah, well, um, the, the drought's still going on here in
0: central Illinois. So um, hopefully we get some rain. we've got a chance here the next day or so. We've got a front moving through. I think it's Sunday. Uh, it's supposed to be 90 uh, the next two days and then drop off to about 80. So uh,
1: hopefully that front comes through and brings some rain with it, but we'll see. Yeah. So uh, I think uh, most of central Ohio got rain today. We've gotten rain over the last week. And even when we didn't have rain, we had really, really heavy dews every morning. So when even when you came out, even though uh, it had not rained, your car was all wet and moisture everywhere so even a little bit like that helps uh, let's talk a little bit about give an update of your corn your clover your beans uh, and your miscanthus how's it reacted to your to the weather what's the status of everything
0: well as far as my corn goes um, the nutricrave looks fantastic we've got rains when we when we were really stressed and needed it we would get a, a decent rain and we'd go two or three weeks without one and we get another good rain and it's just it's kept it going It if we'd get if it start raining like it it needs to i would have a fantastic crop of corn i mean my corn is right. waist high herbicide did fantastic i got a few weeds i got some grasses coming in but but not much and that corn's tall enough now that it, it's gonna Shade out those grasses uh, for the most part, but the, the corn looks fantastic. the uh, test corn you know I had the twenty different varieties of seed that was sent to me well actually Dwayne got it and uh, from our corn breeder and these are twenty varieties that are so limited they would only send us one hundred seeds of each variety right. and I planted that right behind my house and actually I got a sprinkler going on it now. Um, it's up waist high. In fact, it's I got uh, sprinklers on tripods. You know that are up out of the ground four feet or so, or off the ground four feet or so. And this is probably the last time I'm going to be able to water because that corn's going to be taller than the, the sprinkler. But it looks really, really good. <coughs> so uh, not an issue with my corn at all. Uh, my soybeans, I, I originally planted sixty pounds to the acre and then uh, they were getting wiped out so i went back and i planted i drilled right over the top of everything with 30 more pounds per acre so i put 90 pounds an acre of seed down and uh, i I got plenty of soybean plants out there but they've been browsed down they're real short and i finally just figured out that it's the rabbits doing it because my soybean plot wraps around this switchgrass field, and that switchgrass field is absolutely loaded with rabbits. And if I would drive around that, you know with my ATV or whatever, the the rabbits are out there by the dozens. And especially if you go right before dark, and you know finally I figured out it's the rabbits doing that. But those beans are just on the verge. If it we'd get a nice rain, they there's enough of them out there now and they've got enough size on them that they they would explode if they'd get a good rain. And, uh, you know, I've already sprayed them with Roundup, uh, I don't know, it was a week or so ago and they're totally weed free. looks fantastic. They just need rain and and get big enough that the rabbits aren't just
1: totally, you know, keeping them mowed down. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, corn herbicide a little bit. Last year we talked about on the podcast, you sprayed Resicor. This year you used a different chemical. What? what which one did you use? Sure shot. Sure shot. And, uh, you know, just as a comparison, we try to, we try to bounce around and use different product. That way we can give people an idea. And we were talking a little bit before on the air, you said that you don't think it was quite as effective as what you observed last year with Resicore, at least as of right now. But, you know, some of that, I don't know, maybe you can elaborate on it. You know, you hear uh, people talk, uh, sometimes uh, you need more moisture to activate, um, mm-hmm. you know, residuals. So, uh, talk a little bit about the comparison, things that you've seen uh, between the Resicore and the SureShot. Well, you know, uh,
0: they both work, no doubt about it. And, and the difference I'm seeing could possibly be the weather, as you noted um that there's some of those residuals that require a rain within 10 days or a week or whatever and uh the difference i'm seeing is the uh resicore did a fantastic job on everything but this year with the sure shot it did really good on all the broadleaf weeds but i'm starting to see some grasses come in and uh it I, i don't think it handled the grasses quite as well
1: but uh Again, that could be the weather, so. Yeah, the you
0: know, bad part
1: about it is when it leaves the grasses, we really don't have a lot of options. There is some post-germination uh, herbicide you can spray on non-GMO corn that people ask us about all the time, but, you know, like 2,4-D is not going to kill the grasses. It's going to kill the broadleaf, so mm-hmm. it's a little bit um, different. Um, you know, this year I tested a different one. I went with Star Stalwart. I hope I pronounced that right. It's S-T-A-L-W-A-R-T. And for those who are watching on YouTube or maybe saw the thumbnail, the picture of the cornfield that is on that thumbnail is actually my Nutri Crave. Now, you said your your corn is about waist high. Mine's probably a few inches behind that. Um, I got it in, I think, about a week later than you did. But I'm telling you what, from what I saw this year in my plots, I don't have hardly anything in there you know, a farmer, a farmer might not be happy with a little bit of weeds here and there grasses, but for a food plotter, I've been extremely happy with where I use that residual. And, uh, last year I used harness extra. Um, I think this worked better than the harness extra last year. Hmm. Well, again,
0: it, it could be weather related, but you, right. the key is you got to use a residual herbicide. I got a couple calls this week from guys that planted their Nutri-Crave and now they got a weed patch and they want to know what to spray on it. Well, yeah, and, and you can spray 2,4-D, but that 2,4-D actually affects that corn plant to some degree as well. It'll yeah. make it do some funky things. And, uh, if you're going to spray 2,4-D, you need some nozzles that go down between the rows and, and you're not just drenching your corn plant or you're going to have a funky looking mess out there. I, I learned that the hard way years ago, but, uh, The residual herbicides are so critical, and we've been preaching on that uh, for a few years now that the days are just planting your plot and then going out there later and spraying something over the top of it are are pretty much over. If you want to have good soybeans and corn, you need to to get a good residual program.
1: Yeah, I'm guilty of it. We talked about it before, you know, Roundup still kills everything in my area, and there's some, there's some areas on my farm where I want beans and corn together, so I can't use a residual, but I'm telling you what, I went out there, actually tonight after work, I went and sprayed my soybeans and the area that I didn't use a residual on has velvet leaf, like almost looks like AstroTurf out across, <laughs> out across that. Now, luckily, you know, the roundup will kill it and, and I'm okay, but, you know, we talk about browse pressure i was a little uh i was a little kind of worried about a week and a half ago when i went out and saw my soybean plot just looked awful Um, very little uh, soybeans being shown and uh, i looked from a distance to the utilization cage and the utilization cage didn't look very good either and uh, so i thought man it can't be browse pressure something's wrong did i screw up and spray something i didn't but when I really got to looking at the timing and everything, I think what happened in my area is I got the planting done right before that moisture. We got rain, you know, within a couple days of when I planted, I had good germination. I think I planted 70 pounds to the acre, so maybe 75. Broadcasting and like I always do, put some corn in it, but they cut the alfalfa and we went and turned dry and that alfalfa didn't bounce back and everything went to the bean field to eat. And so I just got demolished with browse pressure from deer and turkey. And when I say turkey, when I went out there last night or tonight, Don, there was over 60 birds in the field in the alfalfa and the bean field. So your rabbits and, and my turkey are absolutely devastating. So, um, well, you know,
0: speaking of turkeys, I lost my turkeys. Yeah, they're you not there anymore nope i don't know if uh, i got so many stinking coons running around i don't know if they got the nest because uh you know those those turkeys were here when they should have been making nests, and then they disappeared and, and i was seeing them around the edge of that switchgrass i figured they had nest in that switchgrass but literally you can sit during hunting season in the afternoon or evening right before dark you'll just see herds of raccoons come out of my switchgrass and i don't know if they're just laying out there what they're doing but kyle Herman will tell you he was at my place one time and this string of coons came out of the switchgrass and it was just one after another after another after another and uh, i suspect that the coons or possums or something got the turkey nest and then they left after
1: that yeah. I'm not sure. You I know, mean, I have to just keep an eye out. Um, I can loan you a few that's for sure. So yeah, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I'm not too broken hearted about it. <laughs> well, um, you know, at least for right now, if we get rain, hopefully both of us, uh, will come back with a decent bean crop. Uh, the one thing I did in the break between the, the rain is, um, you know, I, I, if I had a drill, I really need to invest in a drill. Um, but there were some beans there I didn't want to till them up and till it up and replant it was too late for that so I went and hooked up to my corn planter and just changed the plates in my corn planter and and ran three bags of beans over my existing bean field so even on 30 inch rows hopefully uh, they'll take off they were they were had germinated when I went there tonight and sprayed so if I hit the, <laughs> excuse me, if I hit the weeds back and we get some rain, hopefully get some uh, some decent beans this year. And if not, we just, uh, I think we'll both be uh, probably putting in a fall plot, don't you think?
0: Yeah, I've shared this story before and I think it's probably worth sharing again in light of the fact that we're all going through a drought. But back in 2012, um, I learned something really impressive about soybeans and you know, I went on a moose hunting trip to Alaska at the first of September, and that drought was—I mean, we were—it it was dry as I've ever seen it in my entire life. And my soybeans looked pathetic. I mean, they were—I don't even know if they was knee high, and—and and that's this is the first of September, maybe knee high, and I mean they were so sparse you could see the the soil around the plants and everything. And while I was gone, I was gone for 16 days and when I came home a, a hurricane had pushed a bunch of rain up our way and ended the drought there in September and when I came home I, I swear those soybean plants literally tripled in size in 16 days so you know if if you got a good stand of soybeans right now they're they're putting on root they're looking for moisture right. and uh, when you do get the rain they can put on a lot of growth in September well depending on the, the soybean you know and the the maturity of that soybean Uh, that you plant but I know where I'm at the the real world gen 2 soybeans
1: that they can put on a lot of growth in September so right don't give up on your soybeans it's way too early to freak out or give up Uh, miscanthus Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about miscanthus when I was at your place uh, two weeks ago um, the existing mature miscanthus the new shoots had already grown up maybe shoulder to head high you know, five to six, seven feet tall, Uh, they're filling in nice. My miscanthus that I planted this year that I was worried about just in the last week, there's sprigs and shoots coming out everywhere uh, from those rhizomes. So everybody who planted this year um, that's been worried about those rhizomes dying, you know, there's not a lot we can do about it, but even just one week with several rains, it really helped those. And I'm guessing that those rhizomes were doing the exact same thing. It was working underground the whole time, wasn't it?
0: Right. And, and, you know, my miscanthus, my established miscanthus right now is every bit of eight foot tall. It's it's definitely way over my head. And the new planting that I did, I mean, it it looks sad. It's probably got, you know, last time we talked about it, I think I said I had maybe at the best 10% Germination or sprouting, whatever you want to call it, I would say now that no, that number is probably bumped up to maybe f- between fifteen and twenty percent. So they're coming on really, really slow. But that's another thing you can't give up on. Like you said, Terry, those rhizomes are down there and and they're sprouting and and they've got enough rain. Uh, they've had mine have had two good rains on them, an inch and nine tenths and an inch and three tenths, so I know that that ground is sealed up, and there's moisture down there, and, and my past experience is that you have no idea what you got out of your miscanthus, even the first year, even we go into the fall, and you think it it's terrible, you've got 10%, I promise you whatever you think you've got at the end of the first year, you got significantly more than what you think you do, and, and I've seen it on not only my farm, but you know, other places it's been planted in the area that uh it, it just keeps coming so don't give up
1: on your miscanthus either all right well we're going to take a quick break and listen to their spot from osseo but when we come back we're going to dive into clover a little bit because both of us have been pretty disappointed with clover this year um, we've both struggled with our clover plots and uh, let's talk a little bit about that and what our plans are for clover uh, as we approach the fall
0: Osseo Gear introduces a premium line of bow hunting gear that is unmatched. Pairing nature's finest camouflage with the best technological innovations, Osseo Gear brings whitetail bow hunters the gear they need to be the best at their craft. The unique camouflage mimics the intricate feather pattern of North America's greatest predatorial creatures. Designed for invisibility, built for comfort, and engineered for function visit osseogear.com that's a s i o gear.com to start shopping osseo gear prepare to be invisible
1: all right don well thanks to the folks at osseo make sure you're watching their social media and also the mission whitetail podcast that joe miles puts on Uh, don uh, let's talk a little bit about clover because both of us have been pretty disappointed our frost seeding did not take off like we wanted to Uh, Talk a little bit about your theory on why and what's going on. Well, I have no doubt
0: why is this drought actually started last fall. Um, We got good rains here last summer, but about August last year, the corn crop was mature. You know, it was drying down. And about that time, um, the rains just stopped. The farmers in my area they didn't even have a break from harvest because there was no rain, it, they just kept, they started harvest yeah. and they just kept right on going. Yep. And, and that's, this drought actually started last fall. So bad timing on my part, last fall, I sprayed uh, and killed off a lot of my clover fire breaks to start over. They had just, they was getting so weedy and everything. Um, I, I just thought it was best to start fresh. So I killed them. I no tilled in the seed, I got a, a fair at best stand last fall. So I went in uh, and I figured I wouldn't get a great stand. I was going to go in this spring and, and frost seed on top of that. And, uh, you know, end up with a great stand. I thought, cause frost seeding has always worked so well. And the fact that I was starting with a, a good seed bed that was free of weeds and everything, um, basically all I had was the, the rows that that drill had put in um, with some bare ground in between. And um, th- this spring, it, we just didn't get the moisture and the the ground conditions for frost seeding the clover. And you know, the same thing happened in my yard. I got the new yard and it's got some bare spots that I was trying to fill in. I, I, I seeded them twice this spring and I still don't have hardly anything in those spots. Um, it, so it it had to be the weather conditions. Uh, for it to be the clover and the grass both. But uh, uh, the clover was so thin, I started getting some weeds coming on this year. So here a week or so ago, I sprayed all those new clover plantings and uh, sprayed with uh, Clethodim to kill the grasses that were coming on and also with 2,4-DB, uh, which uh, you can spray on your clover and it'll kill broadleaf weeds, but won't kill your clover. So I mixed those two chemicals and sprayed and. I got a really good kill on the the leaves or the weeds. I had a lot of mare's tail coming in, and it hammered that. And the grasses are turning yellow and brown now. So I'll go in there and, and I'll mow that here in another week or so. And then this fall I will go back in with a Genesis drill and I will drill in some more clover seed. Then next spring I will frost seed in some more clover seed, and eventually I'm going to have a good stand of <laughs> clover again.
1: Well I think you're spot on about your uh your your drought starting last year, you know. I I'm kind of addicted to all the big farming YouTube channels. I really w- like watching all the technology that these agri- big, you know, um big farmers use with, you know, the huge equipment and everything. And I remember every year they were fighting fall harvest, getting stuck in the mud and you know stuck grain carts and everything else and last year they just zipped right through and didn't hardly even have to clean their machinery there wasn't any mud in it so I think you're Mm. spot on I just think the lack of moisture in the ground all through the winter um, we didn't get a lot of snow uh, through this winter we got that really really cold snap around Christmas where we had you know minus 30 40 wind chill That lasted about three, four days, but I didn't plow snow once here in Kentucky. So I just think that we lost all moisture and never got a lot back. I agree 100%. That's exactly uh,
0: why we're in the situation we are now. Um, Lack of ground moisture from last fall through the winter. And and that's why the the frost seeding didn't work near as well as it typically does. So... uh,
1: yeah, it's hard yeah, for it's... us in our position because everybody wants to blame the seed, but like Dwayne Hopkins says, we can have the best germination seed out there if mother nature doesn't cooperate. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what you have, so we're still at that mercy. Yep.
0: Well, there's nothing wrong with the seed. I mean, when when you sell seed by in lots of 10,000 pounds in a lot And one guy or two guys in one geographic region have an issue, but nobody else that bought part of that 10,000-pound lot had an issue. You know, it's not the seed.
1: Well, um, before we move on, uh, you mentioned that you're going to mow, and both of us have kind of taken a break from that outside of mowing hay and here in the next couple of weeks i don't know about you but i got a lot of cleanup to do on my farm i'm going to start bush hogging a little bit and getting some areas prepped now that those fawns are big enough that they'll scurry you away from your uh, tractor if they're bedded down but i still get i still am going to watch pretty close
0: yeah and you know there can actually be some fawns born a little bit later um I'm, where i'm going to be mowing it's just that clover you know it's pretty short so there won't be a fawn in there if there is I'll easily see it but uh, I'm going to be mowing with a lawn mower not a tractor I'm going to be sitting on Robin's
1: zero turn mowing <laughs> that clover yeah so uh, yeah so that was what I was trying to tee up on you know we talk about these uh, these um, does that get bred a little bit later because they might be yearling does getting of size so, it's not uncommon to see a fawn, you know, further out this summer. You still got to be careful, but I'm going to be starting to bush hog here uh, probably about 4th of July before getting the uh, trail cameras out. It's, um, it stinks when you haven't mowed and you get about 12,000 pictures of a piece of foxtail blowing in front of your camera. I've had that happen. So, yeah. Well, real quick, why don't we talk a little bit about some news that you have about your Ohio property that you wanted to share with everybody? Yeah, so uh, um, I, I
0: think I mentioned on social media here a while back that I had an Ohio property that probably going to be coming up for sale later this summer. Well, my partner and I decided we're going to try something different this time. We're going to, we, we've actually contracted with a real estate group, Kaufman Realty out of uh, uh, Eastern Ohio, and we're going to have an auction in August on this property, absolute auction. So there's no reserve. <coughs> we're going to see how it goes may never have another auction in our lives but uh, we're we're going to test the waters with this property so it's 174 acres in uh, Washington County Ohio it, it's absolutely going to be ready to, to roll whenever you buy it um, I'm actually going this week to Ohio to put uh, two 360 blinds up on, on plots I'm putting two feeders out and putting feeding those feeders And uh, putting mineral out and putting some cameras out to see what's there, Um, but anybody that's interested, uh, I'll be sharing info on my social media. I'm sure, but Kaufman Realty will too. I'm not sure when the listing will go up, but uh, this auction will be um, in August. So if you're looking for a
1: hunting property for this fall, this one's going to be ready to roll. Well, speaking of auctions, you know, uh, last week or the week before, we had our friend Todd Ewing. On to talk about a property. And he called me Thursday and he said, Terry, I told everybody on your podcast to watch this listing that this auction could possibly go dirt cheap. And he said, sure enough, it went so cheap, he ended up buying it. <laughs> he said he said it was it was cheaper than even he thought it was going to go so it's just proof folks that when we bring these properties or talk to you about it if you're interested in the property it might go high but you never know it could be a steal that you don't want to walk away from i talked to todd today i actually went and spent a day with him and al foster and joe
0: johnson uh this week and but today i talked to todd and uh He told me that property, it only brought like a little over a thousand dollars, a thousand fifty dollars, or a thousand twenty five, or something.
1: Something really cheap.
0: I had to buy it. Yeah, he said I had to buy it.
1: So, so make sure you're following this stuff. So, uh, but yeah, um, it went cheap just like he said it would. So pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. You got anything else before we move on to the listener submitted questions tonight?
0: I think I'm good.
1: Ah, uh, the first one comes from
0: Grady Hostetler from Sugar Creek, Ohio. And uh, he says, hey, Don and Terry, would you recommend supplemental feeding this time of year? If so, what would the deer benefit from this? My second question is, what are some ways to prepare your fall plots for your fall plots such as Deadly Dozen? Thanks. Uh, Grady, su- if I could supplemental feed in, on my farms, no matter where they're at, if it was legal, I would do it every single day, it's legal. And the deer are not gonna eat near as much in the summer as they will in the winter. But if they need, if they're craving some nutrient that that could be found in your supplemental feed that they cannot find um, in their natural diet, it's there for them. Um, it, It don't take that much extra effort. And again, they're not gonna eat but a fraction what they would eat out of that feeder in the winter. So definitely do it just to, You you know, on the chance that they might need some of the nutrients that's in your feed that they can't find um, elsewhere in their range. Um, The next question I'm preparing.
1: Before you move on to that, I have an observation and I don't have Bronson Strickland data to back this up. But, you know, Kentucky changed their supplemental feeding rules this year, so I still haven't been able to put feed out. And we we used to be able to feed except during turkey season. And I think 30 days before turkey season or something like that. But for the most part, outside of turkey season, we were allowed to feed. Don, the mineral intake that uh, they've consumed is higher than normal because, you know, I'm used to I'm used to feeding our complete feed that has the mineral ingredients and you expect healthy deer technology in it. The mineral consumption, I think, is up a little bit but the two trail cameras that i left out from turkey season when al and joe were here i've noticed a lot of insects on the deer ticks and flies and i I gotta believe that we're not getting enough into those deer that what i used to be you know with the contents of that maximizer the intake just isn't as high as it would be that we're not repelling as many of those insects as what i'm used to and you know, I don't have statistical analysis. It's just a gut feeling based on the the deer that I'm seeing. but And it might be the dry, you know, weather. Weather could it be a factor in it, I don't know. But I'm sure seeing a whole lot more insects. And I'm wondering if it's not tied to me not being able to feed as much. You know,
0: you say they've really increased their mineral intake. I've had three or four different guys say the same thing, that their deer... Have really increased mineral intake this year, and I wonder if the drought might have something to do with that. If the the nutrient content of the plants that they're consuming is um, not as high, so they're they're craving that mineral more. But you're probably the fourth or fifth guy that I've heard say that. Um, a couple guys in Iowa, for example, said the
1: same thing. Well, but, if it's uh, not if the plants aren't getting the fresh growth to pull those nutrients out of the ground and they're getting it through browse. They're going to, Dr. Strickland talks about this all the time. They'll go and adjust their diet based on what they need.
0: Yeah. You know, speaking of Dr. Strickland, we should probably announce that he's going to be on. We're going to have Dr. Mm -hmm. Strickland on here in next month or so. So if anybody's got questions for Dr. Strickland, you can uh, address them right to him and submit them and we'll save them for the episode when he's on. But, uh, Grady had another question there uh, about, about how do we
1: prepare how do we prepare our fall plots for Deadly Dozen?
0: Uh, the best thing you can do Grady is uh, keep the weeds down whether that is spraying or continually working the ground or whatever um, you, you just need to keep that vegetation down or, or you're going to have to deal with it later when it comes planting time so I've got a a plot on another property here in Illinois that uh, I'm gonna, I, I didn't plant a spring plot there. Um, I've went in uh, once already and sprayed that plot to kill the weeds down. And in fact, I need to go check it again and probably spray it again um, just to keep the weeds suppressed. And then I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna no-till with the Genesis drill right into that plot that I've kept sprayed uh, all summer long. But the key is keeping that vegetation down.
1: Yeah, um, I have just under a half acre of soil charge that I'm going to convert half of it into Dixie Dozen, half of it into Deadly Dozen this year. I took a picture of it tonight when I was there, and it looks phenomenal. So in that case, you know, I'm trying to build the health of that soil, get some uh, organic matter and nitrogen back in it, but I'll spray that uh, in August and uh, have it ready to... um, to plant Deadly and Dixie Dozen in around rain around the 1st of September. So my my soil charge looks phenomenal. Actually, if I remember when, before I upload this video for the people watching YouTube, I'll put a picture of the soil charge up on here and the deer absolutely smoking it so I probably if if I would have known about this drought I probably would have been better to put a little bit bigger area into soil charge because it's handled the lack of moisture so much better than anything else I planted and I planted everything the same weekend.
0: Yeah if we would have got Grady's question two months ago I would have said you need to plant soil charge um, but at this point you know we're towards the end of June by the time he planted it you know the first of July and then it comes up he's going to be ready to terminate it before it's ever right.
1: m- mature so, at this so I point, think you
0: just keep yeah. the vegetation down
1: yeah there's three options here for what situation people are in if nothing's been planted at all in that area in the spring keep the weeds at bay and keep it back so you're not fighting a mess you know after you plant your deadly dozen if your spring plot failed and you don't have anything there due to the drought you shouldn't have a lot of weeds there either but you can adjust from a spring to a fall plot strategy and then if you were able to get some soil builder product to work and you know then you're just terminating that with spray close to the time you're working ground getting ready to fall plot so kind of three different options there right Wildlife Farming is the leading e-commerce platform
2: specializing in habitat management equipment. Our mission is to make available the equipment necessary for the development of wildlife habitat and improve conservation for hunting and recreational property. We carry flagship brands like the Genesis Drill and Goliath Roller, as well as the premier brands in planting, mowing, spraying, forestry management, and fencing equipment. Food Plot habitat goals vary. Wildlife Farming is the company that can deliver the equipment to achieve these goals. Equipment is our specialty. Our staff is trained and familiar with all the tractor and skid steer brands to make sure you get the right piece of equipment to get the job done right the first time. At Wildlife Farming, we only sell quality equipment and we have the support
0: and expertise you need.
2: Please, Visit wildlifefarming.com for all of your equipment needs.
0: Ah, uh, this one comes from Heath from Freetown, Indiana. Uh, he says, Don and Terry, on May 26th, I woke up to find a dead doe lying next to my kid's swing set in our backyard. Went out and found she had died mid-birth with fawn halfway out. No apparent injuries from anything else. I have never seen anything like this before. And it had me wondering if you have any input or experience with mortality rate of does while giving birth. Thanks, Heath. I have never seen or heard of anything like what you described. Um, when I had the captive deer, you know, I was and I had them for 25 years. I, I never one time assisted a birth, w- witnessed a doe having a difficult birth. Um, they, they just, I, I'd say, what you witnessed or found was extremely, extremely rare. Um, I would guess probably less than one out of a thousand whitetail bursts um, caused the death of a doe. So uh, it just just a rare
1: freaking nature is what you've seen. I saw the pictures of this. He actually sent them to me with on a private message of social media and I don't think it's probably appropriate to post them, you know, the video on the podcast. I don't know what we get flagged for um with graphic content or whatever but yeah the uh i saw it it was literally in the guy's backyard within a couple feet of his kid's swing set and the doe was dead you know the fawn was halfway out with with some of the uh whatever the film and everything over the nose so yeah something something went wonky with that delivery and um both the doe and the fawn died but i've never you you obviously been around so many captive deer i would have guessed that you know a lot of a lot of farmers lose calves every year or lose cows Mm -hmm. but the fact that you never saw it in the captive side surprises me a little bit yeah and you know i've had livestock all my life i've pulled many
0: calves i've pulled many pigs back whenever i was in 4-h and ffa and we would farrow sows uh more than once I had to pull pigs. Um, but never once in twenty-five years did I ever assist in the birth of a fawn. That's
1: amazing. Yep. Well, uh, I wish I wish I could share that picture, but I think it's best that we don't. But uh hope it doesn't happen too often, especially in the backyard next to the kid's swing set. That'd be that'd right. be a little rough sending your kid out back and having to see that.
0: Uh, Next one comes from Jeremiah Craft from Mason, Michigan. He says, hello, Don and Terry. I have listened to every single one of your podcasts. You have answered many questions. You have touched on giant ragweed a little bit. It grows all over southern Michigan. I would like for you to go into a little more depth on deer eating it and bedding in it. I would like to hear your thoughts on leaving it because it grows there naturally. I have switch on the property too this will be the second and third year growing it is diverse bedding just as important as diverse food thanks for answering my question god bless um jeremiah the deer love eating giant ragweed and you know the thing of it is though that giant ragweed is only palatable to those deer this time of the year in the summer when it's green growing um when it that plant matures and and, uh you know starts turning yellow and brown in the fall it loses all its attraction in the in the winter time Um, they're not going to touch it Um, I would not leave that just specifically for a deer plot Um, I I think you're going to want to plant things on your property that those that'll get deer through the period of time when food's in the shortest supply and that's the winter Um, you know, my whole food plot program is geared towards getting my deer through the winter and, uh, that's when they need it most. I think that's when, uh, when your food plot program can have the biggest impact on your deer herd. Um, if they didn't have the nutrition that, you know, a serious land manager is providing in his plots, well, then they're just out roaming the countryside (laughs) scavenging for food. Um, so the the giant ragweed in terms of bedding cover yeah i like diverse bedding cover um i, I like the wooded cover thick wooded cover but I also like uh, the switchgrass and uh i just don't think that uh, a ragweed patch in the winter time or even late fall hunting season i don't think that giant ragweed is going to provide near the cover the quality of cover that switchgrass wood or you know that woody vegetation well so it's definitely got its place i wouldn't worry about wiping it out around the edge of your plots or in the woods or edge of the woods or whatever <coughs> but i would not be specifically trying to cultivate it
1: so i'm not real familiar with it um how does it i mean is it's i'm assuming it's a grass type weed that grows fairly tall or is it bra- is it woody
0: it's a broadleaf and it does grow fairly tall i mean it'll grow six foot anyway
1: so what does it do when the winter comes does it stay standing up like switchgrass does or does the wind and the snow and everything just lay it down
0: it's an annual so you know it died the plant totally dies every year roots and all so it
1: would it wouldn't have any winter bedding
0: bedding advantage at all then very little I, I know you've seen it terry it's got a stalk on it and uh the the deer really like it when it's young you know when it's say three feet and below that's when they really hammer it when it starts getting up five six feet they're not eating it near as as much because it loses its its nutrients value or um food value so uh, again i wouldn't i wouldn't go on on an eradication campaign but at the same time I wouldn't cultivate it either Um, there's a lot of different hundreds of plants that deer like to eat so uh, you know diversity is key but there's some things that uh, you should be cultivating and some things you shouldn't and you should like I said you should be focusing on that time period when the deer need the food the most
1: yep all right makes sense
0: This is the biggest step we've taken in reducing vibration and sound since 3D Damping. What will my new setup do for me that my last year setup did not?
1: <laughs> Matthew's pioneered Damping. We own silence, we own stealth.
0: All right. The next one comes from anonymous from Slippery (coughs) Rock, Pennsylvania. Um, he says, Don and Terry, thanks for being truthful in the outdoor industry and staying the straight path with your beliefs, especially in the mental health plagued world we're in today. (laughs) My question pertains to how do you handle being called and slandered as an elitist. By individuals simply for having the goals and desire to chase mature deer even though your goals and desire have nothing to do with other individuals, and would congratulate them on whatever they harvest if they're set, setting a goal and working to achieve it. Well, to be honest, the question is how do we handle this? And I'm gonna I honestly tell you that some days I do not handle it very well, <laughs> but I'm I'm getting better at it, I think, and uh, I've come to realize. You know, I think I mentioned on an earlier podcast that uh, this summer I've been reading the Bible, reading the New Testament all the way through the New Testament. Um, I I really want to get to the book of Revelation. That's why I want to really dive in. But I wanted to read everything leading up to that. But anyway, you know, I have come to realize that, you know, Jesus was persecuted. The only perfect human to ever walk the earth. Every one of his disciples was persecuted um why would i not be um i, I think there's there's a reasons for me personally being persecuted and to be just brutally honest a lot of the fault lies on me and the way i've handled things the way i'm outspoken i take a stand on things i'm not gonna just say it's uh all the other people's fault I, i've gave them plenty of ammo but you know i've I've tried to to get better and I've tried to uh, overlook things and and instead of getting in a lot of heated discussions uh, like I used to on social media I've just you know when I give people their voice, but when they get out of line, I just block them and uh, you know I, I just try to treat people the way I want to be treated and when they decide that they're not gonna treat me that way it it when it comes to a certain point i just have to walk away from it and i had a situation today i didn't even comment on somebody pointed it out to me they sent me a message and said hey you need to go block this guy and look at what he's saying i went yeah he needed blocks all right i didn't say a word to the guy or anything i just blocked him and and he's gone um that's the way i'm trying to handle it now you know the ironic thing is January 1st, I made the new year's resolution that I was not going to argue with these people. I was just going to block them. And I didn't care if I lost half of my followers on social media or whatever. And the thing of it is I blocked people right and left for the first couple of months. And I actually gained followers. I actually gained about 1500, 2000 more followers by blocking people. I think people just get sick of it. And, uh, you know, I also, I've realized that uh, people don't criticize anyone that is doing less than they are. You, you know <laughs> what I mean? It, they they only want to criticize people that they envy, that that they are jealous of or whatever. So I almost take it a, a, as a compliment when somebody's bashing me. They're trying to bring me down to their level, and there, there's been times where I went down there and I got on their level with them and. I try to avoid that anymore, but you know I appreciate that you've recognized um, some of the slander. And slander is the exact perfect word because w- when people say things that are are not true about someone, I, I call that slander. Um, and, and I've dealt with a lot. Of, I've dealt with it this week, even. But you just, at some point, you just got to be thick-skinned and walk away. But I really appreciate that you've noticed that, and and. I've had a lot of people stand up for me and, and have my back. Um, and I appreciate that as well. And, and you people that have done that know who you are. Don't think it goes unnoticed. Um, I absolutely notice and and appreciate it. I just, it's better for me just not to comment a lot of
1: times. I played in a uh, company golf outing. I had about 140 golfers there. I think it was Wednesday i don't know my days are all running together and there was a guy there that he's probably the best golfer i've ever seen that doesn't get paid to play golf you know one of those type guys Mm -hmm. and i heard i heard some chatter over on the other side of the room like basically accusing him of well he must never work all he does is play golf They said you know he comes from a rich family that you know probably had the yuppies the yuppie effect these people didn't even know him they're just making all of these insinuations because why he's a good golfer and i thought to myself it's like this is this guy's hobby he's probably dedicated more work than any of those guys combined ever put into it but that's his thing and (laughs) To just be jealous because somebody else has dedicated themselves to a passion and been very successful at it and are very good at it, but then holding that against them and turning it into a negative just to... I guess make yourself feel better that you're not as good i thought it was kind of funny sitting back and i'm like well i guess the deer hunting industry isn't so so much different than everywhere else because i think i think everything's the same way when people are jealous but uh, I, I i thought of this this morning or not this morning this evening i had my earbuds in when i was spraying uh, my soybeans tonight and i just put a, a youtube on And of course it plays the next video and this country song came on that I've never heard before. And I think it's actually from a artist that you shared a song from that probably had some bad lyrics on accident one time. I think it's the, I think it's the same guy, but I went and looked at the lyrics of this song and the, in the chorus, it says you can thank him. You can blame him either way. You're going to face him, whether you believe in him or not, In the end, everybody talks to God. (laughs) I thought that's pretty powerful stuff there. No matter what your position is on anything, you're going to have to face our maker and our savior at some point. And Mm -hmm. I hope you're ready. That's all I can say. Everybody can do what they want, but I just hope that you are ready because it's going to come and you're going to have to have that conversation and be accountable for everything where what position you're in your business everybody's going to be a believer one day.
0: The smart people will be a believer before they die. (laughs) All right. Well, let's wrap up with our last question here in the podcast. Uh, The last one comes from Ed from Albany, Georgia. He says, Don, I recently joined the Whitetail Master Academy, great source of information in one place, particularly the hunting property designs. Keep them coming. I have a couple of questions for you. One, how would you classify Babe, an easy buck or a tough buck? Um, I'm going to answer that one real quick. Babe is in the middle. He's not super easy, but he's not super tough either. Um, I would put him right in the middle between Smokey and Trump. You guys have probably all heard me talk about how different Smokey and Trump were. Smokey was uh, probably the easiest mature buck I've ever killed in my life. Trump was the hardest. Um, and, and I'd
1: put babe right there in the middle. I I think, you think I'll babes, be able to... do you think babes traveling as far as Mel? No, Mel was going a long way. I mean, that was yeah, part of was. the decision. I mean, he was going a long way in different directions. I think you were almost uh, an intersection in his, in his range, which was really big. Uh, did well, actually didn't.
0: <laughs> Mel would be a good comparison for babe. Um, Babe didn't travel as far as Mel, but you know, Mel had some habits that uh, made him, he wasn't super tough, but he wasn't, he wasn't easy either by any means. And I guess that's a kind of a roundabout way of saying, I I think I will get Babe killed if he's still alive. I haven't seen him all summer, so I don't know. And And you decide if if somebody and if somebody else don't shoot him first, I mean, I think if I have a season to devote to the deer, I think I'll get him killed at some point, but
1: he's neither easy nor tough. He's somewhere in the middle. Yep. All right, I'll put the uh, slide back up so you can read the second question. Uh, The second one was off. You often discuss various fruit
0: bearing trees and chestnut trees as your favorite for deer. Regarding oak trees, you seem to talk about the trees that hold their leaves longer and provide cover, like shingle oak. If you had a property with few oak trees, what specific oak trees would you plant as a food source? Do deer like acorns from dwarf chincapin oaks? The reason I asked is that I planted white oaks, swamp chestnut oaks, overcup oaks, live oaks, etc., about 15 years ago, still waiting on acorn production. Maybe you could add a video on this topic. Um, well, Ed, uh, dwarf chinkapin oaks that you mentioned, dear, I absolutely do like the, the acorns. Those acorns are very tiny. And I've got a few of those on my farm that I planted years ago. And literally, I, I think, uh, I mean, those trees today are probably 20 feet tall. And uh, I would bet each each tree produces no more acorns than what would fill an ice cream pail. Wow. And that, that's not very much. I mean, these things are little. They're not They're not a whole lot. They're about like a pen oak acorn or a shingle oak acorn. They're a little bit bigger than a pencil eraser, but not a whole lot bigger. And they're, the volume of food is just not going to be there. The oak that I would suggest you plant for deer to feed on is swamp white oak. And I can tell you that if you would have planted swamp white oak 15 years ago, And if those trees were not crowded, they had space to to branch out. They would all be producing acorns today. Whenever I had my tree nursery, um, we would grow various oaks, you know, for digging and burlapping and selling. And many, many of the swamp white, and you know, we would sell those trees. Typically they would be in the field about five to seven years. And, And those swamp white oaks, when they was five to seven years old, I would say over 50% of them were producing acorns. Wow. they That's probably the tree that I that I witnessed produce acorns the quickest. I know back uh, 25, 30 years ago, the big rage was sawtooth oaks. Um, you couldn't open a hunting magazine without somebody talking about sawtooth oaks. And the reason for it is sawtooths are native of Asia. They're not a native of the United States or North America. They come from Asia. And kind of exotic and people were bringing them in, planting them. And it's supposed to be the newest and latest, greatest thing. Well, I mean, and I've got some of those on my farm too. Um, Shame on me for not having natives, but it is what it is. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't going there. I knew you were going to do it. I was just waiting. (laughs) um, the, uh, the, The swamp white oaks even beat the sawtooth oaks in acorn production at a young age. Um, you know, the thing that the sawtooths were touted is they would produce acorns that the deer just absolutely love. And they would do it in five years. Well, I'm telling you very, 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 very few of them produced in five years. I would put a row of swamp whites up against a row of sawtooths any day of the week. And the swamp whites are going to blow them away in terms of acorn production and how quick they produce. And then the deer prefer them just as much as they do any other acorn well with a possible exception of chinkapin oak if i had to put my finger on one acorn that i think the deer prefer the most it would be the chinkapin oak and uh, but it's not a very big acorn either it's a real small acorn but i seen uh, back whenever i had the tree nursery and we would collect seed to grow these trees um, i would go around to various parks and cemeteries and places like that and i would had a little thing i'd push along the ground i'd pick up these acorns and there was a a particular cemetery where there was a big old chinkapin oak tree and there's a lot of white oaks around it too and those white oaks they'd be loaded with acorns but that chinkapin oak it literally would look like a bunch of hogs had been under it, rooting the ground and you had a hard time finding a single acorn because the deer was there every single night cleaning up every acorn on the ground. And it was pretty obvious to me that at that location anyway, those deer much preferred the chinkapin oak to the, the white oak. But if you want fast acorn production, you want a tree that, or an acorn a deer really likes, swamp white oak is the ticket.
1: Which uh, which oak trees hold their leaves longer? Does does the same ones hold their leaves? Uh, we talk about the cover even Mm -hmm. through the year um and and i don't know that you've ever even brought this up but i really like hunting out of oak trees that still have leaves on it just for cover so you're not silhouetted as much so if you're trying to put a tree stand somewhere a tree somewhere that your kids might have a good place to have a tree stand down the road does does any of them hold their leaves better than others definitely
0: chinkapin oak or not chinkapin shingle oak and uh, pin oaks hold their leaves the best in the winter. Now, a, a white oak and a swamp white oak, they will hold their leaves well into the winter too when they're young. And, but as they get older and mature and bigger, then they start shedding their leaves in the fall about the same time the other oaks would. But if you wanna plant a tree for tree stands, uh, I even prefer a, a shingle oaks to ticket there. And I even prefer a shingle oak over a pine tree or an evergreen like a cedar. Um, it, it, you've got all the cover, but uh, it, it, I think it's even better cover than than some of those conifers where you, it, it's so thick that you got to cut branches out of the way. And, and by the time you cut branches out of the way, you're kind of s- sitting there in the wide open. I, I think a, a shingle oak is a tree that you can hide in about as well as any tree out there.
1: Yeah, good advice. I know we have two pin oaks in our front yard that are really old. Um, the base is about the size of a hula hoop and it seems yeah. like there's there it seems like there's leaves on those trees even during spring green up I don't know when they actually fall um, but they they stay loaded all winter long yeah they uh the pin oak's a nice
0: tree too what I don't like about a pin oak is the branch structure a lot of times those branches instead of going growing at an upward angle they grow at a straight out and then a downward angle
1: Uh, they're almost straight down because they're a pain to mow over you you know you get to where you're getting slapped in the face by these trees in my front yard but then you go and my pole saw doesn't even get to where they're attached up top you know they're 20 feet up in the air but they're slapping you in the face yep that's what I don't like about
0: a pen oak and also pen oak is very susceptible to uh galls and also uh chlorosis Gotcha. If the the soil pH is too high, they get chlorosis and they turn yellow and they're just sickly and they usually end up dying. Uh, and then it also makes them when they're, they get sickly from chlorosis. Um, it just kind of invites the, the wasp galls uh, to hit them as well. So kind of a little bit temperamental, at least in this part of the world, there may be places where they do fantastic, but, and they will here too
1: in the right site, but you got to be careful about where you're playing them. Well, this week we're uh, recording on Friday night. This will come out on Saturday. Um last weekend I flew down to Myrtle Beach to watch my daughter play softball in a tournament. They won that tournament. Tomorrow we leave to go to Northern Ohio to do another tournament, but a shout out to your grandson's team. If he's if he's listening to the podcast, it looked like they won their championship. So, yeah. We went and watched them play uh, Wednesday evening.
0: Um, that was a day that both boys played back-to-back games. So uh, one trip over there, we got to watch them both. And uh, and they won that night too. And it was um, last inning, um, grand slam home run won the game. They was actually behind by, I think it was two runs going into the final at bat. And, uh, holy and then holy kid. They loaded up the bases and then a kid hits a inside the park grand slam. <laughs> oh my goodness! And they end up winning that game. That that was the team that that won. A uh, Oak Hill Outdoor <coughs> is a team out of Covington, Indiana. So uh, yeah, pretty proud of them boys.
1: Yeah. So congratulations. Uh, if they're listening, I know they usually listen to the podcast because we get in trouble when we don't say something very nice. <laughs> we get reminded that yeah. your grandkids are listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we hear about it or i hear about it <laughs> you don't hear about it as much as i hear about it no i don't hear hear it too much but uh congratulations to the boys what do you got planned for this week
0: oh well i'm going to ohio at some point uh later in the week um supposed to close on the the property the the smaller property i bought um that gives me access to the new 40. Yep. I got an appointment to close on that one day. I'll be uh, oh, probably spraying weeds, maybe doing some mowing. Um, yep. I'm I'm really, really fired up about putting my cameras out. So probably next weekend, uh, I, I don't know what day the first is on. Is the first on Saturday? I think it is, isn't it? Yes. Probably probably a week from tomorrow, I'll probably put start putting cameras out.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm getting pretty fired up, and actually, we were supposed to record this podcast, and I told you I needed 10 minutes because I got a call from my buddy, and a giant was bedded down in the alfalfa field. So, I jumped on the Quiet Cat bike and hauled butt down the down the road on the Quiet Cat, and and snuck out and glass this deer before we um, before we um, recorded tonight. So that's my first giant sighting of the year in an undisclosed location. It was far enough. I had to ride a bike, but I didn't want my truck sitting out there where people would see me. But um, yeah, um, I'm getting pretty fired up to see what inventory is around. I need to do a little bit of mowing before I can put all my cameras out. Um, I have to put a new, I bought a new um, 750 pound feeder that I got to get together. I'm going to try to work on that in the evenings this week and also got a new 360 blind to put together i'm gonna try i don't know how much luck you've had with it but i'm gonna try kyle harman's talked to me about he's done it putting that blind together in my shop and then uh, since i have the tractor with the forks uh, hauling it to the farm versus assembling it the beauty of these blinds is you can actually erect them and build them on the stand if you don't have equipment but I sure, I think it's going to be a whole lot easier building this thing in my shop than having to build it out there by myself. Yeah, yeah, I put them together inside the to, to shoe. It's a whole lot easier.
0: You, you know, if you don't have equipment, that's one thing, but. Um, getting that roof on when, when you're putting them up. Standing up and, and getting that roof on that blind is a challenge.
1: Well, this is the seven footer too. So we like hunting out of that XL that gives you a lot more space with two adults in it. And that roof is just even a little bit more heavy. So I'm going to put it together here at the, at the house and and haul it over and replace one of the older blinds on my place. So that's going to be my task this week. Need to change the oil on the tractor, get ready for mowing and try to put that stuff together, but catching up, but I'm getting excited about putting trail cameras out. There's no doubt about that. God bless everyone. See you next week.
2: Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Asio Camo, a Farm Real Estate Company, 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingrich Tree Farm, WildlifeFarming.com, Quiet Cat, and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants.